The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the show on Thursday, the 24th of November. Hope you're all keeping well. The World Cup is right underway and we've had some pretty big shocks. Obviously, Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia, a massive, massive shock. But yesterday, Germany losing 2-1 to Japan, another huge shock. But when you boil it down, the way the German team are set up and how slow they are, how methodical they are, is it really a surprise that they got caught by that Japanese team with all that pace and movement and attack? Ilke Gundogan put them one up from the penalty spot. Ritsu Duan and Takuma Asano with the goals for Japan. Massive victory. Well-deserved. And you would have to say Japan potentially favourites to top that group now. Spain 7, Costa Rica 0 in the other game in that group. Dani Almo, Marco Asensio, Ferran Torres... Ferran Torres again, Gavi, Carlos Soler and Alvaro Morata. A massive win for Spain. Didn't think they had that many goals in the team. Be interested to see if they haven't just scored all their goals for the next couple of games. But even with that 7-0 win, I don't think they're necessarily through because it wouldn't surprise me if they lost to both the Germans and the Japanese. I think the Germans are better set up to take on a team like Spain. And I think Japan, again, with that pace and movement, can cause Spain a lot of a lot of problems. Uh, in the other group, we had Morocco nil, Croatia nil in a snooze fest, and then Belgium won, Canada nil. Mitzi ba- Michi Batshuayi capitalizing on a pretty poor error in the Canadian defense, but Canada should have been at least two nil up at that point, if not three. They missed a penalty. Alfonso Davies deciding to take it for reasons not only to himself. And they were denied at least one other penalty that was pretty stonewall. Um, Canada should be really encouraged by their performance. And I see no reason they couldn't beat both Morocco and Croatia. The Belgians, I think, will be quite concerned by how flat they were, how poor they were. The fact that both De Bruyne and Hazard were awful and couldn't get into the game. They couldn't cope with the pace of that Canadian team at all. That group is going to be very, very interesting. And I think there's a couple of big twists and turns to come in it. This morning, Switzerland have beaten Cameroon 1-0. Brilambolo scoring. Brilambolo, who in a different life, could be playing for Cameroon. And right now we have Uruguay 0, South Korea 0, ongoing. Uh, It looks like it's a fairly... Evenly contested game from what I've seen. South Korea missed a one big sitter. Surprising choices in the Uruguayan team. Martin Caceres starting at right back. Uh, wouldn't have thought Vicino would have been a nailed on starter in midfield, but there he is. And Facundo Palestri, who hasn't really played club football in a couple of years, 
he's starting on the right wing. He is very talented, but Manchester United continue to waste his ability. Uh, him, Suarez and Darwin Nunes in a front three. Hyungmin Son starting left wing for the South Koreans and Kim Min-jae starting at centre-back. Obviously, the other Kim starting next to him as well. Um, look, I have to say, there's been some really good football played at this World Cup, but there's been some really, really poor games. Like Denmark, Tunisia was awful. Morocco, Croatia was awful. We've seen certain teams just look completely flat. Like Iran were awful. Qatar were awful. I thought Argentina were really poor. Costa Rica were the worst team we've seen so far. Um and you know it's it's them or Iran, and you would excuse the Iranian players given what's going on in their homeland at the minute. That's got to be massively playing on their minds. It's completely disrupted their preparation. It's obviously far more important than football. And it's got to have been a factor in how poor they were because Iran, what we know of Iran is they're they're solid. They're a solid team. You know, they set up not to get hammered and yet they still got hammered. So less than ideal, less than ideal. Um, as far as news goes, Harry Kane is fit to play against the USA. He picked up a bit of a knock against Iran. Uh, brains in the middle, legs out wide. What Wales need against Iran. Canada missed penalty, blah, blah, blah. Neymar's last chance to bring Brazil World Cup success, almost certainly. Wales fly rainbow flags, but are furious at FIFA. Wales are training and using rainbow flags for the, to set things out, which is a, is a decent gesture. I thought the Germans took an interesting approach with the hands over the mouth team picture, basically saying that they'd been silenced um, and not allowed to, you know, to wear the one love armband and protest the way they intended. German football is not perfect, but it was nice to see them taking that step. Um, Ronaldo given two match ban for fan phone incident. What? Former Manchester United forward Cristiano Ronaldo has been banned for two domestic matches for knocking a phone out of an Everton fan's hand. The 37-year-old appeared to hit the phone as he went down the tunnel after a defeat at Goodison Park in April. He was also fined 50000 by the Football Association. Ronaldo will serve the ban at domestic level with any new club in England or abroad although it does not apply at continental club level so he could play in the Champions League if a Champions League club were stupid enough to sign him. Uh, He was cautioned by police in August and apologised to the young fan immediately after the incident. Uh, But what I noticed he didn't do was replace the young lad's phone. He offered to bring him to a game at Old Trafford. Why would an Everton fan want to go to Old Trafford? Um... The young lad probably just wanted his phone replaced. How has it taken seven months for this to come out that that he gets banned? How has it taken seven months? And why is it the week after he leaves United or the week he leaves United? Farcical stuff as ever from the FA. 
Um, we'll do the gossip. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Bournemouth. And I think we have a couple of questions. And that will be us for today. Nice and quick and short. Uh, gossip. Manchester United will launch a bid in January to bring back Memphis Depay. I doubt it. Newcastle have no interest in signing Cristiano Ronaldo, which I said yesterday was going to be the case. Chelsea are unlikely to make a move for Ronaldo now he is a free agent, despite previous interest. Graham Potter must be winning the Battle of Wills with Todd Bowley. Ronaldo turned down an offer from Al-Halil last summer worth more than £125 million per year, but is set to receive another lucrative offer to play in Saudi Arabia's Pro League now he's a free agent. That is the proper level for him now. That's the best place for him to go. And he can score all the goals he wants and nobody's going to care. Manchester United are discussing whether to replace Ronaldo permanently in January or hold off until the summer and bring in a short-term loan signing as they did with Nigeria striker Odin Agallo in 2020. Well, that went really well. Manchester United believe their global fan base will lure potential Liverpool buyers to Old Trafford. Yet, it's a shame for Liverpool that they don't have a global fan base, isn't it? So Jim Radcliffe will bid for Manchester United. This is what I said yesterday. The British billionaire previously said he was not; he would be interested in buying the club, but then said in October the Glazers had told him they would not sell. Now, they are open to selling, and it makes sense. He is the one I think will buy the club. David Beckham is open to holding talks with potential bidders for the club. I, I really don't understand. I mean, Beckham left before the Glazers took over. There's no relationship there, so I doubt he'll be invited to take part. Manchester United want Bayer Leverkusen and French attacker Moussa Diaby to take Anthony Martial's place in the squad. So they want to replace a striker with a winger, having, you know, spent nearly hundred million on a winger this past summer and seventy-five million on a winger the summer before, while also having Garnacho and Ahmad and Palestri and Elanga and whoever else Rashford plays in wide role. That's a nonsense story. Arsenal and Chelsea are interested in Adrian Rabio, who is at a contract in the summer. He could make sense for Arsenal. He could make sense for Arsenal. He'd fit in that jacket role. Chelsea and Liverpool are set to miss out on Conrad Lehmer, who wants to join Bayern Munich. Makes sense. Uh, I felt all along that's where he'd go. Leeds have been in contact with AC Milan to ask over the status of Charles de Ketelier. Now, de Ketelier turned Leeds down in the summer to go to Milan. It hasn't gone great at Milan, it must be said. He is very, very talented, but it just hasn't worked out so far. But I would give it time. Declan Rice wants to play Champions League football and West Ham expect to lose him in the summer. I think that's been coming. Morocco winger Hakim Ziyech has refused to leave out. Lose. I, I just don't care anymore about him. I really don't. I'm not reading about him anymore. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti wants the Spanish, wanted the Spanish club to sign Rice, but they brought in already in too many instead. That's not true. It just isn't true. Uh, Spain forward Marco Asensio says he wants to stay at Real Madrid. Barcelona have told coach Xavi he can only make signings in January if they if players leave first. 
makes sense given their their finances. Atletico Madrid want to sign Borussia Mönchengladbach and France striker Marcus Turam. I could definitely see him working under Simeone. A full takeover of Everton by US investors is edging closer after new developments behind the scenes. Now, the kind of wording involved there uh, suggests spoofing. It is Wayne uh, Wayne Vesey, which always suggests spoofing. Um, So Football Insider have been told by a source close to the Everton boardroom Absolute nonsense. An unnamed US consortium. This is great. This is especially significant given Mashiri is yet to secure the funds for the Toffees 2024 move to Bramley Mordock. The 67-year-old is expected to part finance the construction project but cannot commit the full $500 it will take to see the stadium through to completion. Uh, Mashiri is willing to relinquish some of the club's equity. He currently owns 94.1% in exchange for for cash, Uh, but a full takeover would see him sell his entire stake. Well, that would be what a full takeover is. Uh, This seems like a a load of nonsense from Wayne Vesey, um, which is the usual from Wayne Vesey, in truth. Right, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we were going to talk about Bournemouth and their season so far and what they need to do in January and the outlook for them. And then we've got a couple of questions. So we'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, uh, let's do Bournemouth first and then we can do some questions. So, Bournemouth obviously newly promoted back into the Premier League, came up needing quite a bit and didn't really spend what you had hoped they would spend in their promotion. They brought in Ryan Fredericks on a free, not a Premier League caliber player. They brought in Joe Rothwell, who's a midfielder I do really like and was very good for Blackburn. But he's been injured most of the season thus far. Marcus Tavanier, coming in from Middlesbrough, has had a bit of an up-and-down season as he adapts to the league. But in recent weeks, has started to look more at home. They signed Neto from Barcelona. I'm not overly keen on Neto, but given the form of Mark Travers, uh, Neto has actually been by far their better, their better option this season. He's been injured as well. He's hopefully back after the World Cup break. And then Marcus Sinisi, the Argentine centre-back from Feyenoord, was brought in. Left-footed centre-back was a bit of a strange signing, considering Lloyd Kelly largely played that role for them. Now, it could hint at a move to a back three or to Lloyd Kelly moving to left-back. But, as things stand, Lloyd Kelly has been injured all year and hasn't been able to play much of a role. They began the season by beating Aston Villa at home 2-0. Really good start to life in the league. Then they got beaten 4-0 by City, 3-0 by Arsenal and 9-0 by Liverpool. After that game, Scott Parker came out and said that it would not be the last time they got walloped like that. And Scott Parker was therefore 
dismissed as manager. They got a draw against Wolves and nil-nil at home. Then they beat Nottingham Forest 3-2 away from home, having been 2-0 down, showed really good resolve to come back. Got a 1-1 draw away to Newcastle, actually went in front in that game. Drew 0-0 at home to Brentford. Beat Leicester 2-1 at home. They'd gone one down, came back and won the game. And then they played Fulham. They went ahead twice, got pegged back twice. Game ended 2-2, but a good draw away from home. So having lost 3-0, sorry, lost three games in a row comprehensively and looking like a team destined for a one-way trip back to the championship, they put together this six-game unbeaten run and they took 10 points from those six games, which gave them 13 points from 10 games, which was pretty impressive. And then things turned for the worse. They lost 1-0 to Southampton. They lost 2-0 to West Ham. They lost 3-2 to Spurs, despite having been 2-0 up at home. And then they lost to Leeds. They were 3-1 up. They lost 4-3. And things looked a bit gloomy. But there's always Everton. There's always Frank Lampard. And a 3-0 win over the Ev gave them a bit of confidence going into the break, boosted them back to 14th in the league, 16 points from 15 games. They're still in the League Cup. They knocked out Norwich on penalties. And then they beat Everton 4-1 a couple of days before they beat them 3-0 in the league. So they beat Everton 7-1 over two games in four days, which is, you know, it's a good sign for, for them and a really bad sign for Everton. They've got a lot of work to do. They really do have a lot of work to do. They've scored 18 goals, which isn't in itself bad. But they've conceded 32 goals. 32 goals is the worst defensive record in the league. Now, obviously, nine of them were in one game. But still, it's the worst defensive record in the league. Their 18 goals isn't bad at all. It's more than Chelsea. It's more than Palace, more than Villa more than Leeds, more than Everton, more than Forest, more than Southampton, and more than Wolves. But, I mean, a team of children could score more goals than Wolves. Four wins, four draws. That's positive. And there's been some good results in there. But there's just no way you could look at the win away to Forest, who came up with them, and say it's not a good result. The draw away to Newcastle, given the run Newcastle have gone on since, is a good result. Beating Leicester at home, good result. Drawing away with Fulham, good result. Obviously, beating Villa and beat these are good results. These aren't just, you know, scrappy, scabby kind of wins. These are good, solid results that they're taking. The issue is that they tend to lose games in runs. So they lost three in a row, then they lost four in a row. You've got to be able to pull yourself out of the mire a lot quicker or these things can snowball and get ahead of you. What if the next time they lose six in a row or seven in a row? Now, it looks like they're going to make Gary O'Neill the permanent manager. Um, He's been the interim coach since the 30th of August after Scott Parker was sacked following the Liverpool game. So 13 of those points are his. That's 13 points from 11 games. 
that's good enough to keep you in the division. The question is, can they maintain that level? They've been good at home. Three wins, two draws, three defeats, nine goals scored, only eight conceded. Their issue has been obviously away from home. Only the one win, two draws, four defeats, nine scored, 24 conceded. That's where the problem is. They're away form. But if they can keep up that home form and pick up the odd point away, they will give themselves a chance. Now, I do think they're destined to go down. I don't think there's enough quality in the Bournemouth squad for them to stay up. I I like Mark Travers, but I am biased towards Mark Travers, and he has not played well this season. But he's a 23-year-old goalkeeper. They make mistakes. I'm not a big fan of Neto, but he is the better of the two for now, and he should be starting. So given that he signed him in the summer, that's right that he starts and they don't touch the goalkeeper position. They need a right back in January. None of the current options are good enough. Adam Smith is not good enough. Ryan Fredericks is not good enough. These are not players you can be playing regularly in the Premier League. Jack Stacey the same. These are not good enough to be starting Premier League outings. Now, if they're going to play a back three when Kelly is back, then it should be Kelly, Sinisi, plus one. I think they need to bring in a central defender. I'm not sold on Chris Metham. I don't think Jack Stevens is good enough to be starting in this league. I think they need to target a right back and a right-sided centre-back in January. And then it's either Sinisi and Kelly as the other two-thirds of the back three, or Sinisi left-side centre-back, Kelly left-back. But I think they've got to get two in in defence in January. They've got to plug those holes. And I know Metham has had a couple of good games this season, but we're talking about consistency and we're talking about players that we know the level of. Like it's not This is not new for Chris Metham. We've seen him in the division before and he struggles. And Jack Stevens struggles in this division. Now, I'd be interested to see what James Hill could offer young centre-back they brought in in January from Fleetwood Town. But he hasn't been given an opportunity in the Premier League. He has played both EFL Cup games, and he looked quite good uh, when he played against Everton. So I'd be interested to see what he could do. But at the same time, I wouldn't be turning to him as a starter at 20 years of age. I think the centre-back they bring in has also got to have something about them in the air because... Sinisi is one of the worst centre-backs in the league in the air. And Lloyd Kelly, I just don't think he's great in the air either. I just don't think he's great in the air either. I think that's the two areas you've got to look at. Right back, right side centre-back, be it right wing back or right full back and right side centre-back. In midfield, you've got good options. You've got Lewis Cook, who's a good player. You've got Jefferson Lerma, who's a good player. You've got Joe Rothwell, who's a good player. You've got Philip Billing, who's a good player. Ben Pearson's fine for squad depth. Uh, Jack Stacey's better in midfield than he is in defence. I don't think they need to go out and look in that area in January. The same in wide areas. They should have David Brooks back for a limited role, but he will help. 
Uh, I should have mentioned Ryan Christie in the midfield as well. He, he's another one that's a decent player. Um, but in the wide areas, you've got David Brooks. You've got Tavernier. You've got Dembele. You've got Jaden Anthony. I think Jordan Zamora could play in wide areas, though obviously he is more of a natural left wing back, which is why the back five might suit him. Um, up front is where I think they could do it in addition as well. They've got Kiefer Moore, and he can offer a lot, but he's he's limited. And I think he's better off the bench. They've obviously got Solanke, who's their main source of goals. But is he going to get you enough goals on his own to keep you up? I don't think he is. He's got three and 13 games this season. He was great in the championship last season, good the year before, but he really struggled in the Premier League in 1920. Now, he was a younger player then. At this point, Dominic Slanky is 25. He's heading into his prime years. We need to see a little bit more from him. I also think he's better in a two. Uh, than he is on his own. So I think they should be looking to bring in a forward player. I think right back, right side centre back and a forward player is what they need to do in January. There's, there's talent in the squad, but it is limited. And there's a number of players that really stick out as championship quality players. It's the It's the worst squad in the league in terms of talent. But there are enough players there to cobble together a cohesive unit that can stay up. My concern is Gary O'Neill getting the job because he's got no experience as a manager other than the games he's just overseen. And when you're going to be in a relegation dogfight, I don't know if a manager cutting his teeth is the best idea. He had that good run, then he had a bad run. I want to see how the first three or four games coming out of the World Cup break are going to be. It looked like they were going to go for Bielsa. They made a decision, or he made a decision, that that wasn't uh, you know, a marriage that was going to work. They were obviously linked to Chris Wilder, but you know why you would appoint Chris Wilder, who was at the time failing miserably in the championship before getting sacked, I don't know. Who they would go for, I'm not sure. I don't think Dyche would take the job. I think he wants a, a slightly bigger club with respect. He's just been at Burnley, who are a similar size club to Bournemouth. I think he wants a slightly bigger club where he's got a bit more you know, of a budget behind him. I'd like to see them find a couple of good players to bring in, see how they start, not overly commit to O'Neill. Not tell them, you know, it's it's yours for 18 months or 24, or 30 months or whatever. Just say, look, just keep doing what you're doing. And we'll reassess at the end of the year. But if you have a bad run, we're going to have to make a move. I know it doesn't give him the confidence that maybe he needs, but I just don't think you can be committing to a rookie manager at this point. Like I say, there's, there's talent in the squad, but there's not enough. You've got to really get the most out of everybody to give yourself a chance. And they have a chance. Like, they have given themselves at least a fighting chance of staying up. That's the one thing they've done. They've given themselves a fighting chance of staying up. And that's all they could really ask for after 15 games. 
But when you look at the teams below them, Leeds have more talent. West Ham have a lot more talent. Everton, probably on the balance, have more talent. I think Forrest, Southampton and Wolves all have significantly more talent. I do think they're going to find themselves going down. They're only six points off bottom. And I think they've done about as well as they possibly could have expected. I think Wolves have done about as badly as they could have possibly expected. So, you know, when you factor in that Wolves have a new manager who's outstanding, when you factor in that Forrest are having all this time now to blend things together and Cooper's getting that chance to work, when you factor in that West Ham couldn't possibly be as bad in the next 23 games as they have been in the last 15, that Leeds are finding their feet under Jesse Marsh, I, I think they're going to be in trouble. I think Bournemouth are going to be in trouble. But, like I say, give yourself a chance. Go out in January, get a right wing back or a right back, get a right side centre back who's dominant in the air and go and find another source of goals. Go and find another source of goals. Give yourself a chance. Right, questions time. Um, We've got two on Discord and I've got one from Alex. <clears throat> AMK2889, I want an 11 from you, from you, but the catch with this 11 is whatever formation you go with, you have to pick what you feel is the greatest unit to have played the game. For example, if you pick a 4-3-3, you have to pick what you feel is the greatest back four, midfield, and attacking three. Can be any era and any players, and feel free to mix and match from different teams, years, and decades. If you choose Milan from the 90s, you can also pick Barca's midfield three to give you an example. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, well, the best defense ever. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go with a 4 4 2, but a, a box 4 4 2. The best defense ever is Tesotti, Costa Curta, Baresi, and Maldini. There's no question. That's the best defense there's ever been. And it's not really all that close. And you can look at that group from the mid-80s through to the mid-90s and look at what they achieved. Three European Cups, World Cup final, because that was the Italian back four, dominance domestically. Now, they did have to deal with a rather special fella in Naples who took a couple of league titles off them. But... Yeah, that Milan back four was absolutely incredible. The balance, it had absolutely everything you'd want. The ability to float into a three when Maldini would push forward, Tassotti would tuck in, and Baresi and Tassotti could play as flanking centre-backs. It could go to a one-three, where Baresi would drop behind Costa Curta, Maldini and Tassotti would come narrow, and they'd be able to do what was called the door bolt. It was just exceptional. Baresi could rampage out of defence into midfield. The two full-backs could tuck, so they could go three and a five in midfield if need be. Uh, the box midfield I would go with, there's two choices here, really. There's the Tigana Platini Magic Box, the Caramagique from France, 84. But the one I love is the Lazio midfield from their title-winning season under Sven. Stankovic, Simeone, Veron and Nedved. That midfield had absolutely everything. 
you got the goals and the pace of Nedved. You've got the industry, the creativity of Stankovic, who could also get you a goal. You've got all that industry and rattiness and the bastard syndrome of Diego Simeone. And then you've got Juan Sebastian Veron, who at that time might have been the best player in the world at dictating a game from the middle of the park. Incredible range, incredible vision, could literally pick any pass. People will judge him on his time at United. It was never going to work. It was the wrong fit with Keane and Scholes. It was never going to work. The pace of the game was all wrong for him. He should have stayed in, in Italy. But you look at him through Sampdoria, Parma and Lazio. Phenomenal. A phenomenal footballer. That midfield is my favourite midfield that I've ever seen. I wouldn't swap it for anything. I just think it was perfect. And you look at, you know, the age profile of them all, they're all in that sort of mid-twenties block as well. If it hadn't been for Lazio's financial issues, I wonder how long that they could have stayed together and what they could have accomplished. So Veron in 99 was 24. Simeone. Be fair, he was 29, so he was a little bit older. Uh, Pavel Nedved. Nedved was 27. And Dejan Stankovic. He was only 21. And you look at that. One of the important things when you're taking a unit is you also need to take in who the depth is. So with that Milan defence, I get the likes of Panucci, who, as everybody is aware, was an outstanding fullback who could play both sides and was always seen as a reliable player. Um, I get Filippo Galli as the alternative centre-back and Roberto Muzzi as well as another full-back could play anywhere, could also play in midfield. So, you know, you're getting a strong unit. You look at that Lazio team and the depth they had in midfield. And it is pretty phenomenal, the squad that they had. So not only do I have that starting midfield, I get Sergio Conceição, who is an outstanding winger and could give them a different look. I I get Dario Mor- uh, Marcolin, who was a, a solid sitting midfielder who could run a game a little bit. Not not a great player, not a great player at all, but a solid, consistent performer. I get Attilio Lombardo for a bit of width, a bit of experience. I get Matthias Almeida, who, you know, would be the natural successor there to Simeone. Now, he was 26 at the time, but he was a great holding midfielder. Could break up play and energy for days, brought leadership. Uh, Gianparo Pinzi, I'm not overly familiar with. I don't really remember him. But I get that that Lazio midfield group. Nothing, Nothing is touching that Lazio midfield group. Like, if the box doesn't work, you can bring one of them off. And bring on Conte Sao. 
and you've got a player who at that time was one of the best wingers in world football. Now, Lazio wasn't the happiest of times for him, but he was a really, really good player. Um, He actually went to Parma after that season. Him and Almeida were used to get them Hernan Crespo. I preferred the team before Crespo got there, but could understand what they're doing. And I love Crespo. Absolutely loved Hernan Crespo. But that Lazio midfield was just otherworldly. Um, And a front two. And I'm tempted to go back to the AC Milan well and go for the Dutch duo of Ruud Hullet and Marco van Basten because I think that is one of the great duos we've ever seen. They were just perfectly made to play together, club and country. You could look at something like the Baggio-Ronaldo pairing at Inter Milan, even though it never fully clicked, just the sheer talent of those two players, had they been given more opportunities, had Ronaldo been able to stay fit, I have no doubt it would have worked. Um, But I think what I will go with is the Napoli front two. Mm, I suppose it was more of a three because Andrea Carnival played. See, the Maradona Careca pairing was really special. Do you know what? I'm going to, I, I, he didn't mention if I could pick international or not or, or just club. I think I'll go Bebeto and Romario from 94. Brazil, Brazil, excuse me. Bebeto and Romario. The other option would be Rivaldo and Ronaldo from 2002, but that was Ronaldo a little bit past his best. Romario and Stoichkov was pretty good for Barcelona. York and Cole obviously was a great pairing. Shearer and Sutton was a good pairing. Shearer and Ferdinand was a good pairing. Fowler and Collymore had the talent to be the best pairing. And I still believe that had Collymore not had the mental health issues that he had, I still think that would have been really special. You know what? I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Fowler and Collymore. From a talent point of view, I don't think we'll ever see anything as good in English football. From pure talent for two English players. Fowler is the most gifted, natural finisher English football has seen, at least since Jimmy Greaves, and maybe even including Jimmy Greaves. And as an all-round player, Stan Collymore's most, most talented forward England has ever produced. You look at the physical gifts and the technical ability. 6'2", built like a tank, really quick, could shoot off both feet, could beat players on the dribble, could cross on both feet. I genuinely think Stan Collymore is the most most naturally gifted English forward that there has been. 
unfortunately with him and Fowler, Fowler's body let him down and Collie Moore's mental health let him down. But those two together, that season that Collie Moore landed at Liverpool. 95-96. He was, he was really, really good. Yeah, that's the front two I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with a box midfield. I've got Milan's defence. I've got Lazio's midfield from 1999-2000 and Liverpool's front two from the 95-96 season. They scored 55 goals combined. And at that point, Collymore was 24 and Fowler was 20. And they should have gone on to do incredible things. But unfortunately, injuries just injuries and, and other struggles got in the way. But yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. For a goalkeeper then, I mean, Gigi Buffon is the one. And he will always be the one for me. So I'll go Gigi Buffon in goal. Imagine what Fowler and Col- so obviously most of that team is Syria based. Imagine what Fowler and Collymore would have done in Syria. Seriously, yeah, we'll take that. Um, Isaac Gilding, can you make an eleven of players not at the World Cup that could win the World Cup? Interesting. Okay, let's have a look. Um. Let's see. You can see us leaning heavily on Italy. I think there'll be at least one Swede in the team. Let's let's get an update. Write this on. We're going to go with some sort of 442. We're going to have Haaland and Salah obviously have to start. Luis Diaz is left wing. Ooh, actually. I said there was going to be a Swede. I don't think there is because uh, Feli Chiesa has got to be in the team. Nicola Barella has got to be in the team. And I think Verratti has got to be in the team. Um... Think now. Left back is going to be Andy Robertson. Ooh. 
one of the centre backs has got to be. I know, I know, I don't really lo- love him at centre back, but David Oliver. I mean, he has to be in the team. Tempted to go with Mary Demerel as my other centre back, but Bastoni. Now, guy is going to hate that because it's two left footed centre backs. But it has to be. It has to be Bastoni. Could I play Kulisevsky at right back just to get him in the team and wind Guy up? Um, see, I really like Zabarni as well, the young uh, Ukrainian centre-back. I think he's going to be a massive, massive talent. I'm not overly keen on... Di Lorenzo was a right back. Hang on. Um, I've just realized what I've only got one African player in, and that's a bit a little bit harsh. So you could have had Victor Simeon in as well. Um no Riyad Mares. There's a few Nigerian players I'd really like to have in. There's a few Mali players I'd like to have in the squad. I need a right back and a goalkeeper. Donnarumma is the goalkeeper. Right back is tough. There isn't really a standout right back. Is there? Don't think there is. I mean, you know what? I'm dropping Diaz because Kavaj Gelli isn't at the World Cup either. So I'm going to go with him and Chiesa either side of Haaland and Salah. Even though I do think it would be better with a Simeon. I think people might give me some abuse if I don't pick Haaland. But I do think a Simeon and Salah with those two wide would work better. Do you know what? It's my team. It is my team, and I'm going to put a Simeon in. Because you said it has to win the World Cup. A Simeon and Salah gives me a better chance to win the World Cup. Um... I'm stuck on a right back. Oh, Conrad Lamer. I know he doesn't play right back, but he can play right back and he's very good there. So, Donnarumma, Lamer, Bastone, Alaba, Robertson, Barella and Verratti in midfield. That's not... It's not perfect. Chiesa and Kvaratskhelia on the wings. Salah and Asimian. Up front, that gives me a bench then with Haaland, Diaz, Kulisevsky. Do you know what? I can't do the two left-footed centre-back thing either. I'm going to put Alaba on the bench. I'm going to play Bastoni and Zabarni. 
That's my two centre-backs. I don't love the midfield either. This is I overthink all these things. And in fairness, Donnarumma's not in the team either because Jan Oblak isn't at the World Cup. Jan Oblak's the best keeper not there. So Oblak is in goal. Zabarni's not in the team either. <laughs> uh, let me start this again. It's Oblak in goal. I'm going to go... Do you know what? I'm actually going to go with what I like. So I'm going to go Lamer right back. I'm going to go Alaba left back. I do think Alaba's the best left back in the world. He just doesn't play there anymore. It's Schrinier and Bastoni as the centre-backs. They're the two. So Zabarni can be on the bench with Robertson, with Alaba. Uh, no, not with Alaba. With Robertson. Alaba's in the team. Uh, midfield. Barella's definitely in. Kvaratskhelia is definitely in. Chiesa is definitely in. Salah is definitely in. I do think it works better with a Simeon. And if it's a choice between Salah and Haaland, I'm taking Salah because well, I'm biased, but I also think he's a better footballer. Dominic Zabozlai has to be in the squad but doesn't quite make the team. Nobody else from that group. Nobody else from that group. Any good Russians that could be in? No. Uh, Odegaard would be in the squad, you'd imagine. Um, Czechs. I mean, Adam Hlasek's the only one that would really give me much of an interest. No, the Italians don't have. I, I, I need. I want an, a different type of midfielder than Verratti. I kind of want someone who's a bit more of a ball winner. But Verratti's probably. I mean, it, yeah, no, we'll just go Barella and Verratti, and not overthink it. We'll go Barella and Verratti, and that's it. All Black, Lamer, Scrinier, Bastoni, Alaba, Chiesa, Barella, Verratti, Cavalacchelli. Salah and Ossimian. Uh It is, what, four Italians? And the rest is a kind of a mixed bunch. There's definitely a couple of other Nigerians I'd like. I'm trying to think, is there anyone from South America? Any other Colombians or Chileans? But I don't think there is. Frank Kessie definitely would be, would be in the mix. But I think I'm happy enough. I think I'm happy enough with that team. Um, Last question then comes from Alex. And I actually meant to do this one a little while ago. Uh, where are they now from some former Liverpool youngsters. So this is Liverpool related. I'm just going to do it now. So it's done because I promised to do it before and completely forgot because I'm an idiot. Um, So Andre Wisdom is the first player up. And Andre Wisdom is currently unattached and has been 
for two years now at this point. Um, he left Derby in the summer of 2021 and hasn't signed for anyone else. He's had quite a disappointing career for me. When he broke through, when when he came through the Bradford Academy and got signed to Liverpool as a 15-year-old, he was very, very highly rated. He was really good in the England underage teams, but just never made the grade at Liverpool. Had a couple of decent loans, to his credit, uh, including one at Red Bull Salzburg, where he won a double and played a pretty important role. I thought he would have a much better Premier League career. I thought he'd, he'd be a career Premier League player, and it just wasn't to be. He was pretty good on his loans at West Brom and Norwich, but it just wasn't to be, and he settled into being more of a championship-level player. Uh, Cameron Brannigan. Let's see now. Cameron Brannigan is currently playing for Oxford United. I was never overly sold on him. There were a few people that thought he was like the next Coutinho or the one who would replace Coutinho. It never looked likely to me. He's been at Oxford now since 2018. And to his credit, he has done fairly well there. He was due to go to Blackpool, they triggered his release clause in the summer, but he turned it down and decided to stay with Oxford. It's a fair play. Nice to see the loyalty. Uh, Danny Pacheco, another one that was, was never I was never sold on. He's currently playing for Gornik Zabrezi in Poland. Um, he's had a journeyman career. From Liverpool, he had loans at Norwich, Atletico Madrid, Rayo Vecano and Huesca. Then played for Alcorcon. Funnily enough, one of the clubs now owned by potential Liverpool buyer, buyer David Blitzer. Uh, Betis, Alaves, Hetafe, Malaga, Legrones, Aris Limassol in Cyprus, and now he is in um, now he is in Poland. I uh, wish him all the best. I hope he does well, but no, he was never one. He was never one for me. Uh Samid Yesel. This kid had lots of talent, but the worst injury look you'll ever see in your life. Uh, he's currently playing amateur football in Germany for Rattingen 0419. Um, I think he's had four ACL tears. When he was young, Germany and Turkey were fighting over who he was going to play for. And his underage scoring record for the Germans up to under-19 level was ridiculous. He'd been great in the Leverkusen Youth Academy. It just never worked at Liverpool. He never got opportunities. He was constantly injured. And unfortunately, um, his career was completely torpedoed. And he went on to have a very disappointing career, considering what he was pegged to accomplish. Um I thought we might have found like a new Fowler when we got him and it turned out he just wasn't. Well, the injuries obviously didn't help. Um, Teixeira, what was his first name? Joe Teixeira. Joe Carlos Teixeira. He is playing in the Qatar Stars League for Um Salal. Again, I I thought when we got him, we we were after getting a really talented player. And he was talented, there's no doubt. 
He had a bad injury though. He he wore a back brace for like a year and didn't kick a ball for like a full year. Um, I think the fourteen, no, not the fourteen fifteen season was it the fifteen sixteen season or something. He had like a really serious injury that he had to wear a back. Oh no, it was it was just when he signed for Liverpool. He he was signed with a back injury. Yeah, he was pegged as the new deco and he did look like he could be the business, but it just didn't work out. The injury obviously didn't help, but um he just wasn't of the of the level that we had hoped he would be. Stephen Sama, youngster signed from Borussia Dortmund, looked talented but never made the grade at the club. Um he last played for Accrington Stanley. He's now without a club. He didn't make much of an impact at Accrington Stanley and he's not made much of an impact in his pro career. But, you know, it just, it happens, unfortunately. It happens. Made a bad move. It's always a concern to me when I see a player that went through five academies. It just doesn't strike me as a good thing for players' development to change academies every two years, as he did. 01, 03, 05, 07 and 2019. Or twenty two thousand and nine, he started in the new academy every two years, and his career just kind of was the same. You know, after f- five years at Liverpool, is the longest spell he spent anywhere. But he didn't play a senior game. Um, shame, shame was very highly regarded when they got him. Alan is one that Liverpool fans will be familiar with without ever probably having seen play because he never got to play for the club. He's playing for Atletico Mineiro. And has been really, really good for them. Um, I didn't know much about him when Liverpool signed him. From what I've seen since he left, he reminds me a bit of Ishmael Benisher. A very talented player. Wouldn't surprise me if he plays for Brazil at some point. I don't think he'll be a regular, but I think he could get a cap or two. Um, Spent five years at Liverpool, never got to kick a ball. But had some really successful loans. And then he made his move to... Atletico Mineiro in 2020 and has gone from strength to strength since going back there. And uh, the best of luck to him, like, you know, he went on loan in what league is that? The Finnish league, uh, eight games. Went to Belgium, played nine games. Went to Hertha Berlin, 16 games. Went to Apollin Limassol, 22 games. Had a failed loan at Eintracht Frankfurt that I never really understood. Four games. Went to Fluminense, played 47 games. And since joining Atletico Monero, 48 games, 61 games and 53 games. He has won the Brazilian League, the Brazilian Cup, a couple of state cups and the Brazilian Super Cup. He was in a team of the tournament for that state league. Uh, He also did win the Finnish League when he was at some club whose name I'm just not even going to try. Um, Shay Ojo, probably the most disappointing one on the list. When we got him from MK Dons, he was he was tagged as the next big thing. This was a huge coup. This kid was going to be the absolute business. This was the most talented player that they had produced, even more so than Delhi. And it just didn't work. Just didn't work. Delhi was in the first team when we got him. This was the next one along. And 
they were going to be putting him... They were saying when he turns 15, he's going into the first-team squad. Liverpool bought him at 14, which in a way is too young to be buying players for 2 million quid. Maybe the pressure got to him, but look, he's he's done okay on a couple of loans. The loan at Cardiff, the loan at Fulham, he's, he was quite good. He's proven himself to be a good championship player. Um, He's at Cardiff now permanently. I hope he goes on and has a good career, but it won't live up to the the expectations, that's for that's for certain. Um Ovi Ajaria, I was never keen on. Didn't think he had the consistency to make it at a top club. Liverpool had signed it from Arsenal. There had to be a reason Arsenal were releasing him at 17. And it was just a lack of consistency. Now, to his credit, he has done really, really well at Reading and has drawn the interest of Nigeria to get him to switch allegiance thus far he hasn't but he might do still he's only 24 there's talent there it's just it is a consistency and a focus thing he drifts too much in games for me um and that's just what my concern would have been Ben Woodburn is at Preston North End obviously made a huge splash as a young player but never seemed to be able to find a position like he's a that's my issue with him is he's positionless. I don't know where he he plays. There's no doubting he can play. I just don't know what position you put him in. He's not a forward. He's not a ten. He's kind of in between, but he's also kind of a wide. It's just a bit of a mess. Um, there's the name I actually had forgotten in Bobby Adekanye. And I genuinely don't know where he's playing these days. He is playing for Go Ahead Eagles in the Dutch League. Uh, left Liverpool, went to Lazio, wanted first-team football. It didn't work out from there. Had some loans at Cadiz, ADO Den Haag, also owned by David Blitzer, by the way, and Crotone now at Go Ahead Eagles. I, I didn't really have much expectation for him. Even though he came with a, a big reputation again, it was you know, what's the crack with these academies? Alfia, Ajax, Barcelona, PSV, now you're jumping ship again. That, to me, is always a concern. That's always a concern. Jan Danda, I, I had hoped, would go on to be a very good player. I think he is a decent player. But um, I, I didn't think he would make it at Liverpool. I thought he would do better at Swansea than he did. Uh, but he finds himself at Ross County now, and uh, I hope he does well. I, I I do. He's only 23. He'll be 24 next month. Wasn't someone I expected to make at Liverpool, but someone I, I hoped would do well. Pedro Chiravella, I was convinced, was going to be great. And he is, I think he's a good midfielder. I think he's done really well since moving to Nantes. He had a great loan at Willem Tway. I think Liverpool held on to him for too long. and should have let him leave a bit earlier, but since going to Nantes, he's been great. And uh, was an absolutely vital factor in their uh, cup win last season. So big credit to him. And Rafael Camacho, again, one I thought was going to be really good, but just seemed to have a, a bit of a an inflated ego uh, with regards to what his level could be and obviously forced his way to sporting, having refused to sign a new contract. 
Liverpool got seven million for him, and I would bet Sporting regret it now because he's played he played twenty one games in his first season. That was the nineteen twenty season. Hasn't kicked a ball for them since. Has been largely out on loan, and those loans have not led to anything. Uh, he will likely leave on a free next summer. I hope he does well. I, I I'd like to see these kids all go on and have good careers, but I just think. A lot of these kids make bad decisions because they're getting bad advice. And um, it it just has such an incredible knock-on. What a bad decision at 22 can make. Uh, it's still nil-nil in the Uruguay-South Korea game. South, Uruguay have just hit the woodwork. Danny Murphy says neither team looks like scoring. Um... It's not a terrible result, though this is a tough group. You know, you've got Ghana and Portugal in this group. It's not a it's not a terrible result, but it's it's a tough group. You're gonna to have to go and probably beat Portugal to get yourself through. You could beat Ghana and get a draw with Portugal, but yeah. I still think Uruguay are going to do quite well. Right, I'm done. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Have a pleasant, pleasant day. And enjoy your World Cup. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.